Tonight, I want to talk to you about woman. Woman. Now, fortunately for me, I'm not going to be talking about what makes a woman tick or how a woman thinks, etc. I'm not here to answer any questions like, what do women want? No one has any idea of these questions, okay? These are the age-old questions that are still trying to be answered and understood. Tonight, we're going to look at the creation of woman. We're going to look at Adam being alone and God dealing with his solitude. We're going to look at marriage and what marriage is, what it means, what God intended for it. The point tonight in our text is this. We were made for relationships. So whether you're married, single, young, or old, here's the message tonight. You and I, we were made for relationship. But how? How were we made for relationship? What is the ultimate solution for solitude? These are important questions because although there are more people on the face of the earth today than there perhaps ever have been, Uh, loneliness is one of the biggest issues across the face of the earth. So tonight we're going to look at this, that we were made for relationship. So let's take a look at our passage and see exactly how it is that we were made for relationship. Let's pick it up, Genesis chapter 2, and let's read it beginning in verse 18. It says this, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now, if you look at the week of creation, if you look at chapter 1 of Genesis, and we've gone through that, thank God we made it through, amen. But here we are in chapter 2, we're going to finish up chapter 2 tonight, amen. But if you go back just for a second and look at the week of creation, you look that there was a particular rhythm that God had in the week of creation, Uh, And, of course, the week of creation culminating with the creation of man on day six. And I want to draw attention, your attention, back to a particular way that uh, God concluded each day. And this actually started with day three. There was a particular observation that God had. Back in day three, at the end of it, God saw that it was good. And it was day three. And God saw that it was good Day four. And God saw that it was good day five. And then at the conclusion of day six, then God saw that he had all that he had made, and it indeed was very good. But then we come to verse 18 of chapter two, and it says this, and God said, it's not good. It's not good. And, and so there's, there's all, everything that's happening, it's, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then we come to 
chapter 2, verse 18, and God says, and it's, and it's not good, what? That man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And so if you take creation week uh, there, you see you have this rhythm, everything's good, and then it's not good that man should be alone. So God is going to do something about the solitude of Adam that we see at the conclusion of, uh, of creation week. Now, if you take, now we've talked a little bit about the, the idea of the creation week. Was it, was it seven 24 hours, seven 24 hour days? Was it just kind of a regular week or was it something else? There's there's other ideas of what a week could be. We have a week in Scripture that's a week of years, and so a week could be seven years. Then we have this idea that a day, when we looked at it, I think last week or the week before, when it says, back in the day when God made the heavens and the earth and everything that was in them. And so uh, speaking of the entire creation week as a day, and so we have different meanings for the uh, word day and different meanings for the word week. Uh, one of the problems that you run into, if you take the view that it's seven consecutive 24-hour days, you have the problem of how you're going to fit everything that happened on day six into day six, because there's actually quite a bit that's happening. Uh, you have the creation of, of everything. You have the creation of of the, the animals, the, the beasts of the, the, the field, the, the cattle, every creeping thing. And then you have the creation of man uh, in the image, as the image of God, the forming of him and breathing into him the breath of life. And then you would have everything that we just read here in chapter 2, if you're taking this to be on day 6 of creation. If you're taking the creation of Adam and Eve on day six, then you're having to fit in everything, not only that God, that the word says that God did on day six, but also everything that man is now doing on day six, which if it is day six, naming all the creatures of the, the, the beasts of the field, the cattle and all the birds and, 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 and a whole lot of naming going on. So you, you have, so the, the argument for the 24-hour, seven-day week is that, you know, well, God can do everything, and he's all-powerful, and there's no problem with him doing it in seven 24-hour days. Absolutely. As, as we said when we tackled that back in chapter one, God could have done the whole thing in one millisecond, the entire first chapter. So it's not a matter of, is God powerful enough to do it in seven days? He could do it all in one millisecond. The question is, how did he do it? And here we come to a question of we've got all this stuff that God's doing and then suddenly some stuff that man's doing. And so you have Adam as the image now taking dominion by operating in that place of the vice regent of God, now naming the animals. So... I don't know if you had a situation where here's Adam and he's naming the animals and, you know, one by one or two by two or however it was that they were brought. You know, I, I could imagine that they perhaps were brought two by two, you know. You know, you have the horses come and, well, here's, here's, a, here's a horse. 
looks like this is a female horse and this is a male horse. And, and this is a, a cow. This is a male cow and this is a female, like uh, male cattle, the bull. Yeah, I never did understand all that. You know, a cow, bull, hen, rooster, chicken. I, I don't understand it all. <clears throat> but thank God Adam understood it. But let's just say he was just kind of taking a long time doing that, you know? And can you imagine God coming up to him going, Adam, Adam, you know, we need to speed this up a little bit because this is day six and we got a lot more going on today. We got to fit this whole thing of you going into a deep sleep and me taking a rib and making a wife for you. So you really want to get through this naming of the animals thing so we can get on to the fun stuff, okay? <clears throat> I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how it went down. I mean, it, I guess we'll be able to one day know. We can ask and, and find out when we, when we get there to be, to be with God. But um, what's important to see here is that God is the one that sees the need of man. And he sees as Adam is naming the animals, and, and it says at the beginning there that it's not good for man to be alone, but then man goes through this this procedure of naming all the animals and that it's at the end of this naming process that Adam kind of goes, hey, there's nobody for me. You know, <laughs> I mean, we, we named all these animals and, you know, where's, where's, you know, I see the female horse and the male horse and the whole thing and there's nobody for me. And so it's God. What we want to see here is that God is the one who sees the need of man and God was the one who made man for relationship and now he is going to make the first companion. He's going to create the first human relationship. God is going to make Adam a helper, a helpmeet, a helper comparable to him. Now, how Adam notices his need comes through this process of naming the animals. So all the, all the animals were brought to him. And of course, as I said earlier, Adam is now acting in that role, that status as the image of God. He's acting in that role of ruling and having dominion over the earth. And so we see Adam here is the father of zoology. Yeah, the father of zoology. I mean, he was the one who named all the animals. He named the cattle. He named all the creeping things. He named all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air. He named, I thought, I thought that was interesting. He named all the birds. Now, I'm kind of weird, you know, and I take after my father a little bit, and he's a little weird, too. So, um, <clears throat> so we're always kind of Googling. Have you, have you Googled your last name just to see what the roots are? Yeah, everybody's Googled your last name and to see how, you know, if there's somebody that did something cool, maybe way back in the day that, you know, Nestor, you know, and Nestor actually is a name that actually goes back for centuries and centuries and centuries. In fact, Nestor is a name that is in, goes all the way back to Homer's Iliad. He's actually a king in Homer's Iliad. And uh, so anyway, so that's cool. But then as I was searching, you know, my name on Google, I also found that there's a genus of birds named Nestor. I don't even know if you knew this, but anyways, it's a, it's a particular genus of, of parrots that are found in New Zealand. So I, I don't know, maybe we need to have a Nestor family trip down to New Zealand to see the Nestor parrots, and I don't know, we'll move on. Okay, so anyways, <clears throat> Adam named all the birds. He named everything. So Adam goes through this whole process of naming the animals, and through the process, 
he discovers that there's no one for him. Each of the animals had their male and female counterparts, but a helper, a companion for Adam was not found. And God said that it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, man can be alone. You can be alone. I can be alone. Sometimes we want to be alone. But it's not good for us to ultimately be alone. We're not made that way. We were, we were made for relationship. And so God sees this and he says it's not good for man to be alone. And he's going to do something about it. We need, we need companionship. We need love. We need touch. They've actually done studies of, of babies. I don't know how they do these studies, but they've, you know, they will, you know, put, they'll have the test and they'll say, you know, see how people react from lack of physical uh, touch and, uh, you know, human interaction and all the rest of it. And it's just not good. It's not good. And so, you know, we were really, we were made, we were designed for human interaction. We were made for companionship. We need the touch. We need the love. We need relationship. And this is how we were made. We were made to love and to be loved. We were born to be loved. And I'm reminded of a, of a King's X song right now. We were born to be loved. Anyways, look it up on iTunes. So God did something about it. God is the one who gives us what we need, and we need companionship, and God is going to be the one that brings that companionship into our lives. And I want to tell you tonight, especially to the, to the younger uh, people of the crowd tonight, but to all of us as well, we need to see that it's God that's going to, to, to bring the people, the, the, the relationships into our lives. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't go out and be, friend, be, a, be a friend. It doesn't mean that we don't go out and pursue relationships. It just simply means that we need to trust the Lord that God's going to bring the right people into our lives if we'll just, uh, we'll just follow him, if we'll just love him, if we'll just be in his word, obey him, worship him. As we're doing that, I, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you, especially if you're young, you may not believe me what I'm saying right now, but God is going to bring the people that he wants in your life, and he's going to bring that special person, uh, that, that future mate, he's going to bring that person into your life as well. And, and we need to see that because we see that, that that is how the very first human relationship was. That's how the f first friendship was. That's how the first marriage was, that God was the one that brings that woman to the man. And so trust God. Trust God. If you can trust God for your salvation, you can trust him for your relationships. You can trust him for your future mate or your current mate or whatever future friendships that, that God wants to bring into your life. And so we've got to trust the Lord in all these things. God is the one that's the source of our fulfillment and relationships are certainly part of what God's going to do in our life. Now, so we were first, we were made for relationship and God sees that Adam is alone and he's going to deal with it. Secondly, tonight, God gave us companionship. Let's pick it up. Verse 21. It says this, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. 
Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's God that gave us companionship. God is the one that's going to give you companionship. God caused Adam to go into a deep sleep. It says a deep sleep. And this is not to be seen as a normal type of sleep. There is a normal type of sleep. Sleep is a normal part of, it's a normal activity in the animal kingdom. It's a normal activity in humankind. I guess, I'm trying to think of where it's, sleep is not found. I guess, is it sharks? Do sharks sleep? I mean, I'm trying to remember back from Shark Week and the whole thing. And I, I, th- I think that sharks keep moving. I, I think if they stop, they die or something like that. But anyways, everybody else needs a good night's sleep. But this isn't to be seen as a normal sleep. This is a specific type of sleep. It's a deep sleep. There's a normal sleep that's designed for animals and even mankind, but this sleep is different from natural sleep, and God causes it to fall upon upon Adam in order that he might bring about this, I guess, the first surgery. He he, he does this first surgery, and he he makes the, the, the first woman. He creates the first woman. So God causes a deep sleep, and God does this surgery on Adam, and he took... He took something out of the side. Now, you know, the English there says rib. The Hebrew word is, it could be translated rib, it could be translated side. We don't know exactly what it was, but I mean, there, there, are, there are some myths out there that, you know, there's one that says, you know, women have one more rib than men, and so therefore that's, you know, but I think, you know, that's a myth. I don't think that's true. You know, do your uh, uh, anatomy and all that. I, I don't think that's true. But, but, the reality is that what he did is he took something from his side. And I think it's not so much exactly what he took, it's the location that's important. It's the location of what he took because he literally could have taken something from any place. Because we know, as scientists have un- uncovered uh, in the, the research in the DNA molecule and the whole thing and the... Um, the, 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 whole, the, the whole strand, right, that you have in each cell of your body, you have every piece of information that is you and that is the entire blueprint of, of who you are, and it's in that DNA strand. So what I'm trying to say is that he could have taken, you know, any part, but it's the location from where he took it that is the important thing that we need to look at here. So, so God took something, it, it obviously contained cells, and he had this blueprint, and so God formed, and, and God formed the woman comparable to the man. Now, if you go back up to, to verse 18, uh, it says, and, God, and the Lord God said, it's not good for man that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. He's going to make him make the woman comparable. In, in, in other words, he's going to make the woman in similar fashion to the man. Man was made as the image, male and female, and so now he's specifically creating the woman, and she's also going to be made in 
similar fashion, comparable to the man, also as the image. And as we learned last week, he's also, as he formed and fashioned man, uh, he, he's going to form and fashion the woman. And as he breathed into Adam the breath of life and breathed, last week we talked about how literally God breathed into his nostrils and we talked about this face-to-face intimacy and, and all of it. And so God is also going to do that with women. So she's going to be made comparable to the man, but she's going to be a helper. She's going to be a helper. Now, some women today read this, and of course, I didn't, we didn't time this up and everything, but I guess this past week was Women's Day, International Women's Day, and so we just ha- so happened tonight to be talking about the creation of woman and all this, and we started the Genesis series back, you know, in the fall, and, and we had Christmas, and I had no idea that it was going to coincide, so it's just, you know, it's just a, you know, a happy coincidence, okay? And, um, and so, or maybe by divine design. Um, and so... Many today read this and they'll say, oh, well, look at this. This is the meaning of women because it says she was going to be a helper, a helper to man. And that's that's so demeaning that that see, you know, this is what I don't like about the Bible. Now, now, helper is not a derogatory term. A helper is a good thing. Everybody can be a helper. Right. Even God himself is called a helper. The, the role of the Holy Spirit is actually one of the roles is that he's a helper, that he's called alongside to help. And so if God can be a helper, certainly, ladies, you can be a helper. And what God did in creating man and woman, he gave as man being the head of the family, he gave a mandate of being in that place of vice region of really king, and so that, that they're going to rule over the earth. They're going to take dominion. He, he did that a little bit in naming the animals, and man, as man is born and women is born, there's going to be this idea that mankind, male and female, are going to be acting as the image of God in, in their day-to-day lives. And so this is not a bad thing, and I guess if you want to read controversy into everything, you can. But, but this is, I submit to you, if God is a helper, then we can all be a helper. Amen? So the woman would be made from man's side. Again, it's not so important exactly what it was, but where it was from. She was, that part was taken from man's side to come alongside of him to be a helper. To help what? To help with what? Again, God had given man a huge mandate, and he couldn't do it alone. If you look at the mandate, he certainly couldn't do it alone. And so God was going to create woman and bring her alongside the man and so that together they could rule and reign together and fulfill the mandate that God had given to man. It was a huge mandate. He was commanded to take dominion over the earth and to rule over it. You need help to do something like that. I mean, anybody want to take that on? Yeah. Well, you have a little piece of your little world that God's given you to take dominion over and to rule over. And and sometimes you need help. Amen? Furthermore, he was commanded to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
And, and obviously, we don't need to get into that, but obviously Adam couldn't take care of that all alone either. And so, in fact, Eve couldn't do it by herself. So in order to fulfill the mandate of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth, Adam needed Eve and Eve needed Adam to do this. And so he needed a helper. He needed a helper. The great part of this that we see in this little portion that we read is that when God had finished making the woman, he brought her to the man. I think, you know, of all these verses, I mean, you look at that and it's, it's almost kind of this beautiful picture where you see Adam and he's alone and he's going to this deep sleep and this whole thing and whatever. God makes the woman and he brings her to him. Wow. You have this idea, and I want you to see this idea of God, you know, giving man companionship. You know, God's the author of this stuff, right? In fact, there's, there's, an idea, there's an idea of companionship, there's an idea of relationship in the Godhead itself. And so you have in the Godhead, in the Trinity, you have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you have this, this community of the Godhead, and there's relationship. There's love. Love does not first happen in mankind or animal kind or the appearance of love. Love, there's love because love first happened, first existed in the Godhead. The Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. And so on and so forth. And as, in fact, Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, love one another. And so the, the example of love literally comes from the person of God, from the persons of God. And so God fulfills that need of companionship. He brings us relationships that he desires for us. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, it doesn't mean that you could just go sit in a corner <laughs> and just, okay, I'm just going to be over here, you know, just waiting and God's going to bring the person over and I don't have to do anything and I don't even have to say hi or I don't have to be friendly, no. In order to be a friend, you have to be friendly, right? There's a principle there. In order to be a friend, you need to be a friend. You need to be friendly. You need to make yourself to be a friendly person. I think the idea is there that we don't have to artificially manufacture relationships. As we serve the Lord and love the Lord, God's going to bring those relationships into our lives. And here, Adam is just there, and God is now fulfilling that desire. He had gone through the entire animal kingdom, all the birds, everything. He found no one for himself, and God says, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make woman, and he brings, he brings the woman to man. And he will bring the right person into your life. I believe that. I believe that. Now let's look at Adam's response. Genesis 2.23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I want you to notice these words there in verse 23, this is now, this is now, because this is now literally in the Hebrew, it could have actually said this, it could have said at last. 
or this time, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Literally in the Hebrew, it's as if, you know, Adam had gone through this entire process of naming the animals. No, 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 this is a cow. No, this is a horse. This is a rhinoceros. This is, I don't know what this is. Maybe it's a, you know, unicorn. <laughs> oh, I should bring that up. I should bring that topic up. Are there unicorns? <clears throat> you laugh, but this is one of the reasons that atheists mocked the Bible, and specifically the King James Version, which I'm, there are problems with the King James, but overall it's a good version, but it actually does use the word unicorns. But if you look at the scientific name, the zoological name for the one-horned rhinoceros, it is unicornus. Look it up. Google it. All that kind of fun stuff. Check it out. Are there unicorns? Yes. The one-horned rhinoceros. So don't make fun of the King James. It was correct. He says, at last, at last, there's one from me. There's one for me. At last. It, 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 it does kind of imply that there was some time. There was some like, you know, it sounds like to me, you know, in the Hebrew, it sounds like there's some like, you know, oh, at last. Wow. I finally have somebody. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. You could almost hear the music swell and who, who you know, at last. You know, my, <laughs> you, know, what, you know, what's funny about that, what's funny about that is my, my brother-in-law, Married a Peruvian girl. We took a trip to Peru, a missions trip, worked with the church down there, brought my brother-in-law with me on the trip. He met a girl at the church. Long story short, they're married, they have a child. And when they got married, they came into the reception and the first song that they have play was that, at last, at last. And so I don't know, maybe, you know, there was a pre-recording of that song, <laughs> you know, no. Anyways. <laughs> This is what Adam said, at last, at last, this time, this time, I have a helper, I have a companion, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, Adam understood the essential oneness in his relationship with Eve. What was the idea of the essential oneness? The essential oneness was that she was taken from him. So now... Now, something of him was now her. And so there, there was a oneness. Now, they would later come together physically as one in, in, in that sexual relationship. But there was an idea of oneness that actually preceded that, that she was literally taken out of man. She was from him. And this perspective is seen in Paul's exhortation to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5. You'll see it on the screen Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. This is what the Apostle Paul says to husbands. You'll see it on the screen. So husbands ought to love their own wives, what? As their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. Guys, this should revolutionize our literal understanding of what God has called us to do in loving and cherishing our wife. 
Because the very first relationship that she, the woman was literally from the man and the example is set in stone because now every other marriage is modeled after that first one. And so husbands love your wives. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Can you imagine Adam hating Eve? Here she was literally from him. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And as man, we often wonder how woman got to be so good looking. Because we look at ourselves, men, and we go, we're rough. We've got issues. We've got stuff going on. You know, we've got problems. And we look at women and we say, wow, this is, this is just really incredible stuff here that God did. Thank God for girls, right? Had to get that Weezer reference in there. Man was taken from the ground, right? Man was made from the ground. But woman was made from the man. So women are really one step removed from the ground. I mean, you're still, women, don't get too cocky here or anything, all right? Don't get too excited. You're still earthy. You know, you're still flesh and, you know, you're still dust. But you're one step removed from the ground. Man was literally made from the ground. Woman was literally made from the man. And I just think you can just, you know, it just, to me, it makes sense. Because when I rub my skin and then I rub my wife's skin, it's just, there's a difference. (laughs) It's one step removed from the earth. Ladies, you have a special place in the creation. You have a special place in the creation. And here we have today all this talk and, and all this stuff going on and, and marches and rallies and all this and this talk about equality. Unfortunately, a lot of the equality talk destroys the incredible distinction and differences that woman holds from the creation. One step removed from the earth. And she's from man's side. Not from his head to rule over him not from his foot to be trampled by him, but from his side, close to his heart, to be loved by him, from under his arm to be cared for and protected by him, by his side, to be a helper together in the mandate that we have from God. Now from this pair, all other human, all other people have flowed and brought about the possibility of all other human relationships. Now I know... You will, you will, if you get into genetics and genetic studies, and I've listened to it all, okay, trust me. I don't pretend to get up here and not know what people are saying. I know that they trace the human group back to a group of about 2,000 humans, okay? And then others, somebody will come out and say, well, we found Eve. We found this woman, you know. We found a speck of DNA or something, and we've traced it all the way back, and she was found in Africa somewhere and whatever. Okay. Adam and Eve 
everybody flowed from Adam and Eve. In fact, she was named, she was made, um, she was named Eve. We'll find this in chapter 3. She was named Eve because she was the mother of all the living. And, and so we see this is, is what the Bible teaches. So this couple brought about the possibility of all other human relationships. So we have, we have family, we have extended family, we have friends, cousins, and all kinds of stuff. Second cousins, third cousins, everything. And we were made for relationship. And God made that possible by making the woman for Adam. And, and, we, and we have friendship, and we have that companionship with each other. But then we have this, what we see here in this text, the, this relationship called marriage. And when we see the woman being created here in chapter 2, we see, and, and her bringing, being brought to the man, we see the very first marriage. God created the institution of marriage. The first human relationship was also a marriage. The biblical definition of marriage, make no mistake about it, is found right here in Genesis 2 in our text tonight. In verse 24, and I'll have it up on the screen. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One flesh. This is the, this is the biblical definition of marriage. So, so there's, there's been a lot of talk about marriage. What is a marriage? There's been amendments pr pr proposed in different states. There's been court cases. There's been all kinds of stuff. Make no mistake about it. What the Bible says, this is the definitive definition of marriage in the Bible. In fact, when Jesus Christ, people say a lot of times, I hear it all the time, well, Jesus never commented on what a marriage was. No, he, yeah, absolutely he did. In fact, he was asked specifically about divorce, and what did he say? Well, let me talk to you about what a marriage is. Wh whose wife is she going to be in the kingdom? Right, was the question to Jesus. Well, let me tell you what a marriage is in the first place, in the beginning, when it was made. And he quotes this verse. So if you, th th this whole business about Jesus never commented on one of marriages... It's, it's, it's just absolutely not true. It's just absolutely, fundamentally not true that Jesus never commented on it. In fact, you can look it up. I believe it's Matthew 19 where that, where that occurs. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so you can really sum up marriage in one word. It's oneness. Oneness. That's what being married is all about. It's about oneness. It's about being one. It's about being joined together. Now, God made each person as body, soul, and spirit. You have a physical body. You have a soul that's, that's the psyche. That's it's, it's, it's kind of who you are. And then there's a spiritual side of you. So you have a body, soul, and spirit. And, and, and everyone else does too. And so if you're going to be joined to another person in marriage, you want to be, you're going to be joined together in, in, in those three ways, body, soul, and spirit. Now, this particular verse that we read talks about this, this coming together, being joined together, and, and absolutely it talks about all, all of this. Not just the physical. Obviously, the physical joining together is a part of that. And, 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 and obviously, obvious. 
<laughs> you know, obvious in that situation, the joining the two shall become what? One flesh, okay? But there's a oneness that, super, that, that, that goes along with the, the oneness of flesh. It's a oneness of, of body. It's a oneness of soul. It's a oneness of spirit. It's a complete joining together. And what too many people do to, today is they, they might come together and be joined together physically as one flesh, but they, they haven't bothered to take a look at who they're joining themselves together in terms of the soul and the issues that are present there. And then they haven't taken a, a good hard look at who they might be joined together with in spirit. And as a Christian, we need to really take that seriously. Because the Bible talks about that not being unequally yoked with an unbeliever for what fellowship does light have with darkness. And Paul gets into that in his discussions in, in, in the Corinthians and, and all of it. And so really we need to look at this threefold connection. In marriage, we need to be joined in all three areas. In all three, in an ongoing fashion. Amen? This is marriage, and this is what makes marriage work. You can look at a marriage that's falling apart, and I guarantee there's a lack of connection, a oneness in one or more of these three areas. I could, I could, as sure as I'm standing here, if you look at a marriage that's falling apart, I can tell you that there's a lack of connection in one of these three areas, if not multiple, all three. And that's why it's important that as, as a married person that you work continuously. Marriages work, by the way, right? You work continuously on making that connection sure in body, soul, and spirit. Amen? Yes. You guys still with me? Yes. Married couples here tonight, look at your marriage. How are you doing in terms of your oneness in each of these areas? You need to work on it. You need to maintain it. You need to make sure that there is that oneness. I remember back in college, I had, this is going back many years now, I think close to 27 years, I think. And um, I had gone down, we'd gone down to West Palm Beach for the weekend. And... We were on the way home, back to the college. I went to Bible College in Lakeland, Florida. This was about a two, I don't know, two and a half hour, three hour drive. And you're cutting, cutting across the middle of the state. But on the way back, we're coming up from West Palm Beach and we're on the, the turnpike. And I was, at the time, I was driving a 1978 AMC Concorde. Do you know what that looks like? <laughs> it doesn't, it's not pretty. It's not pretty. It's not as ugly as the Pacer. The fishbowl on wheels, but it's almost as bad, almost as bad. And we're driving up on the Florida Turnpike, and, and all of a sudden my car starts to, to, to shut down, starts to shut down. And I'm on the Turnpike, I'm like, oh no, what's, what's going on? I got no power, I, got, I can't go. So I pull off on the side of the road and, for a little bit, and then I get it going again. And I make it up to the Fort Drum Service Plaza. You familiar with Fort Drum Service Plaza? Yeah, yeah, some of you have been there. I get up to the Fort Drum Service Plaza, and I go, man, you got to look at this. 
They pull up and there's a garage in there. Thank God, there's a garage. The guy looks at it and he says, you, you need a new fuel pump. I said, okay. What do I do? He says, well, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, if you want me to do it, I have to have one driven in from the coast, from Fort Pierce. So I said, okay, I guess I'm waiting here. So they drove, they had a part delivered from Fort Pierce to the, to the Fort Drum service plaza. He does all the work. I pay him like I can't remember how much it was. It wasn't cheap. <laughs> and now I'm back in the car, and now I'm turning it over, and it turned over and everything, and I'm feeling good. Now I'm, 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 I'm on my way. I'm headed back to the school. And wouldn't you know it, eight miles down the road, thing was shutting off again. And this time, I pulled off on the side of the road, and I couldn't get it started again. Here I am. I'm literally about a mile. I can see the exit for Yeehaw Junction. Okay? So I'm not even to Yeehaw. If you're in Yeehaw, you're in the middle of nowhere. If you're not even to Yeehaw, you're way out in the middle of nowhere. Okay? And some of you didn't know there was a place called Yeehaw Junction. Okay? But there is. Because yes. I broke down there. Yes. <clears throat> so I, there was nothing I could do. I literally walked off of the turnpike and found my way to a little garage there. And, I, and, and the guy had to literally go on to the turnpike, tow my car off. And I had to have a, I had to have a friend, a student, come down from the college and pick me up. And the biggest tragedy of this whole story is that I missed a concert that night of my favorite band, Whiteheart, in one of their final tours. Anyways, the next day, I got a, a, a guy to drive me back down to Yeehaw Junction, and it turned out that what was wrong with the car was there was a little clip where those two wires came together and they just had gotten loose to the point where just that disconnection had caused the whole thing to shut down. Just that little disconnection. And ruined my night and my next day. This is what can happen in a relationship, in a marriage. When you lose that connection, that connection, that threefold connection is very important. And you've got, you've got to work on that. You've got to work on that connection. Don't underestimate being connected in each of those three areas continually. Because when there's that disconnection, it can begin to have grave effects on the relationship. Disconnection in marriage brings far worse connect consequences than disconnection of a couple wires in a 1978 AMC Concord. And so we've got to work on that connection. Now, that's the idea of marriage. Connection, oneness, being of one, of oneness. But I want to end tonight on this point that God is the perfect companion for us. Let's look at verse 25. It says this, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. 
Now, the word naked there comes from the word nakad. No, it, ju it just means naked, all right? <laughs> Nude, naked, naked, okay? They were naked, but what, what is this... What does this word tell us about the fact that they were naked? It says they were naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And what this connotates to us that in this state of their relationship before the fall, before we get to chapter 3, that there was this, this purity and this innocence and, and, and this kind of perfection, really. This, 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 they were naked and unashamed. But as we'll get to next week in chapter 3, and don't miss next week because we're going to be getting into, it's ramping up next week, okay? But we get into this idea where suddenly they know that they're naked. And, and, and they're hiding themselves. And they're, they're, there's this shame because they're naked. And this is all because that because they disobeyed God and they, and they sinned against God. They disobeyed him and they brought shame upon themselves and they knew they were naked and they no longer were in this state that you see in, in chapter two, verse 25. They were literally hiding themselves and covering themselves and, and all this. And so God had to do something about that because ultimately they were in a good relationship. They were in that perfect relationship with one another, but because the relationship with God had been broken because of their sin, God had to step in and do something about that relationship because ultimately, yes, he did make us and give us companionship and make us for relationship and human relationship, but ultimately God is the perfect companion for us. And when that relationship is broken or severed or not there, then we have really big problems. We've got to see that God is the perfect companion for us. Jesus did something about that broken relationship with man. He knows that we need him. You've heard that saying, people need the Lord. You know, and you can say, oh yeah, people need the Lord. No, we need the, we're people. <laughs> we're the people that need the Lord. Every single person needs the Lord. We need the Lord, and, and, and God is the perfect companion for us. We all need God. And, and people spend their lives, they literally spend their lives searching for that missing part of the lives, and all along, the missing part is God. Now, Paul put it this way to the Christians in Colossae. He's making this whole argument in the first two chapters of Colossians, and he gets to the 10th verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, and he says this, you are complete in him. That missing part, that what you need, that perfect companion that your soul needs, it's God. And you're only going to be made complete in him. Let's bring my, my car story back into the picture with a relationship with God. You have a disconnection in your, you have no relationship with God. There's a disconnection. The wires, the wires haven't been connected between you and the Lord. You haven't been brought to that place where you have that relationship with God. And there's a disconnection. But people say all the time, well, I don't need the Lord. They say, I don't need God. My life works just fine without God. And my response would be this. Does it? Does it work? Does your, does your life work without God? 
You can cover over a lot of things in your life and you can put a lot of scholarly this and that, that and theories and all kinds of stuff and you can cover over and make yourself feel better. You can build yourself up in certain support groups or, or in, 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 in social structure. But does your life really work without God? Are you being honest with yourself? Does your worldview hold up without God? Do your values make sense without God? Do you really lay your head down on the pillow at night and have peace? What about eternity? What about your eternity? You say, well, I don't think there is an eternity. Are you sure? Are you sure about that? God makes sense out of life. God makes sense out of life. And God, a relationship with God, makes sense out of your life. And that's why Paul put it this way. He said, you're complete in him. If you're looking for that missing part, you're looking for that companionship that only God can fill. There's a great philosopher that once put it that we have a, a God-shaped hole, each one of us in the, right in the center of our lives. It's a God-shaped hole. You can't put anything else in there. You can try to, you can fill it up with stuff. You can fill it up with maybe with even other relationships that are great relationships, but you can't fill that God-shaped hole without anything other than God. And his name is Jesus Christ. And if you'll make him Lord and Savior of your life, He'll make sense out of your life. He'll make sense out of your life. And he'll complete you. He'll complete you. And so really tonight what we've seen, what we've learned, is that we were made for relationship. And God brought about the possibility of those relationships taking place. And God brought about and created the first marriage. And he basically showed us how to do that and how to maintain that connection. And then we need to do that in all of our relationships. Maintaining that connection, loving one another, and most importantly, loving God and having God come into our lives and be who he needs to be in our life, which is our Lord, our Savior, our King, our God, and that he completes you.